Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our midweek service. If you are a regular, you know we've been going through uh, Psalms for quite some time. Probably done more than I intended to do when we first started. Uh, if you are new, you're welcome to join us. And thank you for being here. We're in Psalm 137. And you're at a good place because we're just starting this particular psalm. This has been a psalm that has always intrigued me. I remember uh, hearing a song one time uh, that was taken from this uh, particular passage, and it kind of stuck in my mind, and then later I read it, and oh, that's actually in the Bible. And uh, it's kind of a sad song, but it is also very instructive to us. Now, the reason it is, is because this is a psalm that expresses tremendous regret. You know, there is, uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to think that we live in a country that is so prosperous, in a country that has so much freedom, in a country that has a Christian heritage, in a country where a lot of people, a lot of people go to church and know the stories of the Bible and uh, know passages from the Word of God, and then they end up in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they look at their life, and it's just filled with regret. Regret about how they handled their money. Regret about how they raised their children. Regret about their morals. You know, we are um, looking at, on Sunday morning, the book of Exodus, and we just came through the part about the Ten Commandments, and then in Sunday school, we'll be... Uh, this coming Sunday, looking at the Ten Commandments in the New City Catechism. And one of the things that if, for example, you don't ever steal anything, you don't ever have to have the regret of ending up in prison or wondering if you're going to get caught or trying to cover up things. You don't commit adultery. You don't have to worry about the consequences of that. You don't murder. You don't end up in prison or the penitentiary or... Uh, in an execution chamber. You, you know what I'm saying? Those things that God has given us are not simply because He doesn't want us to have any fun. It's because He wants us to have a life where we end up with no regrets. A life that honors God, a life that glorifies God, is a life that is regret-free. And you can die with peace. You can finish with peace. You can go to the judgment seat of Christ and you can stand there with peace and with confidence. You know where you stand with God because you believed the gospel, repented of your sins, put your faith totally in the sacrifice of Christ, believed in his resurrection, confessed him as Lord, and uh, knowing that he lives in you and he's living through you, that he's forgiven your sin, and then... You're living a life that pleases Him, that honors Him, loving Him supremely and loving your neighbor as well. And whenever you come to the end of your life, to be able to... Um, there are several times when the Bible talks about someone and he died old and full of years. That's more than just saying he was a hundred-something years old. That's a statement of saying that this person died with dignity and peace. They died with confidence in the Lord because of the way that they lived. 
This is the kind of person that dies like the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Run the race. I fought the good fight. And I know what's waiting for me, a crown that is uh, ready for those who love the Lord's appearing. Uh, you think about dying that way, as opposed to the way I'm going to presume most people die, wishing they had done more, wishing that they had been more faithful, wishing that they had honored their marriage vows, wishing that they had taken more time to instruct their children and love their children and have fun with their kids, wishing that they had not wasted their time or opportunities, wishing that they had used their talents in a productive way, wishing that they had used their money as stewards instead of just wasting it like the prodigal son did. I mean, think about all of the things that come up on life where we say, I wish I had or I should have. Why didn't I? And we find that we're running out of runway. We find that we are uh, coming to a place rapidly where it's too late to fix some of those things. Now, it is true God's a merciful God and God is willing to give us second chances or a whole lot more than that actually, isn't he? But there is a point to where if you are on your deathbed and you've got two days to live, probably too late to do most of those things. And uh, so how do we end up with a productive life to where it's not filled with regrets? Now, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that what's written in the Old Testament is there for our admonition. What's an admonition? It's a warning to warn us. When we think about all the things that the people of Israel did and didn't do, God preserved those things because, well, we're humans. And we have a tendency to do the same things they did. And he wants us to learn from those things. What am I getting at? Well, this psalm is making reference. You kind of have to know a little bit of history here to get it. Making a reference to Old Testament Israel. In Old Testament Israel had uh, been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They eat manna in the um, desert, water from the rock, all of that kind of stuff, right? And uh, then they go into the promised land. The second generation does. And uh, they see the walls of Jericho fall. And uh, they are able to take the land, that land that had been promised to Abraham 400 some years earlier. And they're in the land now. It's amazing. But you go from that right into the book of Judges. And what does the book of Judges tells, uh, tell us? In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Man, what a mess. What a mess that was. But then God allows them after the time of the Judges and after the uh, time of the prophet Samuel to have a king. And so they chose the king and, you know, kind of how humans do. We don't always choose the right people to be our leaders. And they chose King Saul and, um, well, he wasn't optimal, let's say. But then God gave them the king of his choosing, the king that they probably would have overlooked, but God didn't. And they gave him David. David was the king over Israel that, well, he still, still sets the standard for kings today. And uh, they 
did well under David. And then Solomon took over and they prospered under Solomon. But Solomon wasn't the man his father was. Solomon is the um, supreme example, I suppose, of a man who had everything, wasted it, and ended up dying. Bitter old man filled with regrets. Book of Ecclesiastes is kind of the book of Solomon's regrets, isn't it? And then from there, Israel goes downhill. They have a civil war. They split. And there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And uh, then during this time, it becomes fashionable and um, encouraged, I guess you would say, to worship other gods. I mean, you know, if one god is good, and they knew the one true living God, Yahweh, well then... Why can't we have more than one God like the other nations do? It doesn't seem to be hurting them. And they're bigger and they're richer and they have more population and stronger armies. Maybe we ought to try what they're doing. And so Israel began to kind of pattern itself after the pagan nations, the Canaanite nations. And, you know, you can kind of understand it. Doesn't make it right, but here's sort of what would happen. They didn't have any rain. Their crop is failing. And so um, they happened to be on their way home, maybe from the tabernacle or something like that. And as they're walking home, they see some of their Canaanite neighbors. And boy, they're having a big time. And they are celebrating and having festivals. And they are uh, uh, chanting and praying and eating and drinking and all of those things. And so maybe one of these Israelis talks to his Canaanite neighbor and says, what is this? And they said, oh, we worship Baal. He's one of our gods. He's the god of weather. And we are feasting and, you know, all of this because we want him to send rain. And something inside of the Israeli says, maybe, maybe it would help. Or maybe he goes home. This is probably more accurate. He goes home and that afternoon there's a thunderstorm. And he says something like this. Wow, there might be something to that worship of Baal. Maybe we're missing out on something. And so uh, they began to incorporate the worship of the Baals. There were a lot of them and uh, other gods. And some of it was uh, to control nature. Some of it was for uh, crops and, you know, money, prosperity. A lot of it was sexual, uh, very perverted sexual things. And um, all of this came in. And so God said, I'm going to send warnings to them. And so prophets would show up. And uh, you can read their prophecies, Amos, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, a lot of those in there in the Old Testament were written during this time period. And they would warn the people saying, if you don't repent, then it's not going to go well. And God will take you out of this land that he promised you. And they would uh, maybe repent for a while and then go back, kind of like a rubber band. You pull it and then it goes back. And uh, they didn't really take it all that seriously. Or maybe one generation did, but the next generation didn't. And pretty soon it's just, you know, same song, second verse. God sends more prophets and they still don't listen. And some of them were killed and some were uh, persecuted in other ways. And so God says, enough. And he raises up these nomadic tribes Chaldeans that nobody really thought would amount to anything and they become strong they become a world empire 
and they come in and they take over the southern kingdom of Judah. The Assyrians take over the northern kingdom and the Israelis are out of the land. They are in exile. They're living in foreign lands and particularly in Babylon, the Jews being there, uh, they mourned and they grieved. And for 70 years, they were in Babylon serving foreign kings, living in a foreign land and all of the paganism and all of the idolatry. And here's what they write. Verse one, by the river of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is where the temple was. It's back in Jerusalem, back in the land of Israel. They're in Babylon. They're remembering. Verse two, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away, the ones who took them captive, ask of us a song. Sing something for us, Jews. And those who plundered us requested mirth. See, when you're requesting mirth, they're going to entertain us. Let us laugh at you. Let us have a good time at your expense. And how did they do that? Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Verse four, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How do we do that here? So you see the setting that whoever wrote this is not in Jerusalem. They're not anywhere like that. They're not at the temple. They're by the rivers of Babylon. And there is a set looking at the Euphrates River. They uh, remember. They remember being taken captive. They remember what it was like when the temple was plundered and destroyed. They watched their nation fall. They watched the walls of Jerusalem be knocked down. They watched their government crumble. And they watched the brightest and best of their children, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those kind, to be taken away and brought to Babylon and serve Nebuchadnezzar and later uh, Darius. And uh, they were there to do whatever that king wanted, living in a pagan land, far away from the homeland they knew, far away from anything familiar, far away from their religion and from the temple and from the feasts that they enjoyed. And whenever they would celebrate Passover in Babylon, they would end it by saying next year in Jerusalem. But the years and the decades went by. And this is probably written in about the last year of their captivity. So let's say it's been... 69 years, long time. Even those who were young when they were taken captive, they're old now, aren't they? If you take a 20-year-old and add 70 years to that, it's a lot of years, isn't it? Whatever time they get back, even if they're set free, they don't have much time to live. They don't have much time. They may not even be able to make the journey. And uh, they're concerned that a lot of the younger ones who were born in Babylon like Esther, do they even care about Jerusalem? Do they know where they come from? Do they understand who they are? 
Are they keeping the law of God? Are they honoring the feasts and festivals that God has given? Will the Jewish race die out? Will their heritage die out? Will the language die out? Will the customs die out? That's the question. Because we're not in Zion. We're here in Babylon. And our kids are becoming more Babylonian than they are Jewish. Will they even leave? In fact, a lot of them didn't leave when they had the opportunity. Mordecai and Esther, in the book of Esther, they were still in Babylon. The other Jews had gone home. What's going to happen? And they look at all of this, and you can see in these first four verses, it just drips with regret. A wasted life. Why didn't we listen to the prophets? Why didn't we obey the word of God, the law of God, like we promised to when it was given to us through Moses? Why, oh, why did we think we could play around with all of this? Why did we think it wouldn't catch up with us? Why in the world didn't we take, not the hint, why didn't we take the instruction that God so clearly gave us? You know, a lot of people are like uh, my father-in-law used to say, about, uh, well, he's talking about Baptists. He said, Baptists are the only people who confess their sins before they commit them. Well, I know I ought not do this, but then they do it anyway. How, How stupid are we? How dumb is that to know what's right and what's wrong and choose to do what is wrong and laugh it off by saying, well, I know I shouldn't, but I'm gonna do it anyway. What about, have you ever heard anybody say, well, I'm afraid I wasn't too Christ-like when I was dealing with that. Why weren't you Christ-like? Are you ever not supposed to be Christ-like? And then when we sow the wind, but we reap the whirlwind, then we feel like God has failed us. When we reap what we sow, and we wonder why our witness is not impacting our family, why it's not impacting our neighbor or our culture, I can tell you why. And we end up coming to the end of our life saying, why, why, why didn't I do what I knew I should do? You see, it's not so much about doing what I didn't know, because I didn't know. You can't do what you don't know. And maybe there's a case I should have known, but that's not really the issue. It's why aren't you doing what you know to do? Now, to quote in the New Testament, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, there's an awful lot in there about just do what you know to do, and God will make sure you get more information if you need it. God will make sure you go deeper if you need it. Just do what you know to do. If you're not doing what you know to do now, why should he reveal any more to you? And yet we end up with the point of saying, Oh, I wish I could be young again, because if I were young again, here's what I would do. Well, probably not, because you didn't do it the first time. And so the people here that are writing this psalm, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and thinking about Zion didn't bring comfort, it didn't bring peace, and we wept when we remembered Zion. Well, that just makes me sad. You know, a lot of people are like that when they come to church. When they think about serving God, it makes them weep because of this thing of regret. Number one, regret makes sad memories. 
See, just that word regret is not a happy word. It's not a thing where we look back and we go, oh, I remember that wasn't that fun. You, sin brings pleasure for a season, but the Bible says it's the passing pleasures of sin, right? It's going to go away. You're going to have regret about it. And so they sat by that, the rivers of Babylon. They thought about a wasted life. They thought about what it could have been, what it should have been, what God had promised them in the positive and what God had promised also in the negative. And they took it all for granted. And so they sat down and they wept when they remembered Zion. Remember the feast? Remember the songs? Remember when we would sit with grandpa and grandma? Remember when we would have the Passover? Remember all of those kind of things back in Jerusalem. Number two, regret takes away joy. You don't find a happy, joyful person with regret, do you? We hung up our harps on the willows in the midst of it. I don't have a song anymore. The harp is what they would accompany themselves with. The harp would give them the pitch. The harp would give them some harmony. The harp would give them some rhythm. And uh, they looked at all of that and they said, we don't feel like singing anymore. We don't have anything to sing about anymore. Everything has caved in on us. We're little more than slaves. We're not in the land God promised us and we'll never be happy anywhere else. We've got the chastisement of God upon us. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God, folks. And what did they do? There's no song left. They hung it up, hung up the harps because regret takes away your joy. Number three, regret makes your testimony a joke. Regret makes your testimony a joke. You see, when you testify, I know the Lord, I love the Lord, I'm a believer, and then you don't live like it, you become a joke to people. For there were those who carried us away captive, and they asked us for a song. They don't want to worship God, folks. They want to laugh at the Jews. Sing to us about your mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. Our God is an awesome God, right? And they would laugh. If your God was mighty, and if your God was awesome, you wouldn't be in this situation, would you? He wasn't even awesome enough for you to serve him. You were serving Canaanite gods too. What a joke. They would look at them and they would say, oh, really? Your God is so mighty and he's so awesome and our gods are nothing and yet we conquered you? What a joke. And, you know, I'm convinced that there are a lot of people. That one of the reasons we're seeing the decline of Christianity is our kids are watching our lives and they're watching how we lived and they're watching as the decades go by. And when it's all over and we go to be with the Lord, they look at our lives and they say, what a joke. What a joke. Why? Because we weren't serious. We weren't committed. We weren't faithful. We would give ourselves to any other thing more than we would to the Lord or to his service in the church or his kingdom or anything like that. We didn't really love God with all we had and love our neighbor as ourselves. It was really all about us and our comfort and what we wanted to do. It kind of bothers me when I watch uh, television and um, on some of these shows, The Voice 
American Idol, some of those kind of things. And, and I'll watch these people on there who are living horrible lives. And uh, the judges, I mean. And um, they will hear somebody sing something and they'll go, Woo, I felt like we've been in church. And it was a song about adultery, about lust, but it had a rhythm and it had something that might have reminded them of a time in church. And you know, all that does is say that their religious upbringing and everything they were talking, it was a joke. And I got a feeling there's some mamas and daddies and others that look on life and they say, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why didn't we serve the Lord? Why didn't we serve him the way we were supposed to? Now, granted, even God, the perfect father, his children go astray. So it doesn't mean that just because your children don't serve the Lord, it doesn't mean that you were dead wrong in everything that you did. I'm not talking to you. God bless you. And I pray for you. That hurts. But I'm talking to the parents who they're more concerned about their kids and sports than whether their kid knows Jesus. They're more concerned about their children and maybe making the headline, being the uh, uh, getting the lead part in the play more than they want them to know what the Word of God says. You, you understand what I'm saying. And people that live a hypocritical life, they sprinkle a little Jesus on something just to make things feel better, but He's not the main course. And it's sad. And what happens is that just like these people, the Jews who are supposed to be the people of God living in the land that God had given them. And now they, what, what is their songs for? Not for worship, but for mirth, amusement, entertain us about how great your God really is. And then they were laughing. Boy, that must have been humiliating to them. And look at the regret that they have. Number four, regret leaves you stranded. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? But they had no way at this point to get back, did they? They couldn't just leave when they wanted to. They were there by the decree of the king. And not until God works in the heart of a king named Cyrus would they be allowed to go back and rebuild their temple. This is a sad, sad thing. How are we going to end up with a life that's not filled with regret. Let me give you some suggestions. Number one, think long term. Hebrews eleven twenty five speaks of Moses choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy. Look at this. The fleeting pleasures of sin. Fleeting means the pleasures are on their way out. They're, they're running away. And you may chase after them and you may catch them for a little while, but you're not going to keep up with them. They're going to be gone. And then you're going to reap what you sow. Think long term. So many times sin gets us because we're thinking now, right now. This is a good thing now. This will help me now. Think long term. Also, do hard things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, we want to think of the soldier, soldiers as doing heroic things. But that's not always true. There's a few heroes. There's a lot of people working behind the scenes. Paperwork, delivery, truck driving, food prep, all of those kind of things. Behind the scenes. 
A lot of people are doing guard duty. That's not very glamorous. Some people are just out doing training, the same thing over and over and over and over, and they may never see combat or anything. But you've got to do those things as well as the heroic things if you're going to be a good soldier of Christ. So do the hard things. Too many people are just, what's easy? What's quick? What won't take much time? What won't cost much money? And who's going to take up the standard and go forth in the power of the gospel with the armor of God on and the weapons of their warfare and run to the battle. Here's another thing. Be a doer of the word. James 1.25 says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, that's probably the way a lot of people are at church on Sunday morning, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Well, we all want to be blessed, don't we? Well, we've got to be a doer, a doer of the word, not just forgetting it, not just putting in our time and then forgetting it and getting on to real life. Real life is the word of God and your service to God, folks. Here's another one. Be open to rebuke. Israel just never would take a rebuke. Who are you to rebuke me, they would say to the prophets. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30 says... Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands, the Babylonians. They wouldn't listen. You gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Your spirit spoke. You sent your prophets. but They didn't care. They wouldn't listen. You know, I found that a lot of people today, we're such babies, we're such snowflakes. Nobody wants to be corrected. Nobody wants to be rebuked. And yet that's the test of maturity, isn't it? If you're going to be right with God, you've got to change. You've got to be corrected. And then the other thing that I thought of, you want to live a life without regrets? Learn how to appreciate today. Everybody's always thinking about something else, if only. And when this changes, and when the time comes, and when the kids are grown, or when, there's always something better than right now. Well, we're really not promised anything but right now, are we? In Psalm 118, verse 24, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And some of you are letting the days slip through your fingers and the pages are falling from the calendars like autumn leaves off of the trees. And you think you've got a long time. You may not. You may not. Things could change very quickly, couldn't they? You think that there will always be an opportunity. There may not always be the opportunity, but you do have this moment and you do have today. So I don't want you to end up at the end of life in Babylon, sitting by a river, weeping when you remember the way things used to be. I don't want your harp to be hung up. I want you to have it out tuned up and playing it. I want you to have the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want your life to count for the Lord Jesus Christ and to have a legacy that will live on long after you're gone, that your influence will still be touching lives. That sounds like a better way to go than the other way. So whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, I'm speaking to younger people, 
aim high and do something different with your life. I'm speaking to people who are middle-aged. You still got some time to make some really significant changes. I'm talking to some of you who are like I am and you're a senior adult. You may not have done everything right, but who has? But you can do something right today and something that'll be blessed and rewarded by God. And don't hang up your harp. Start singing those songs. And even if remembering those things makes you weep, go ahead and weep. But once you get it out, wait for the joy bells to start ringing again. Thank you for your time. Pray for one another. Download the newsletter from the church website at gracewayokc.org. Contact one another. Minister to one another. Tell somebody about Jesus. And live a life that's going to matter when you stand before the Lord. God bless you and thank you so much for your time and for your support.